You're now listening to the Major League Real Estate Podcast, Episode 5. Welcome to the Major League Real Estate Podcast, a podcast for operators of large-scale real estate portfolios. My name is Brandon Hall, and I'm your host. Together with my co-host, Dylan Brown, we talk about tax and legal strategies, and we bring on operators of large portfolios for in-depth discussions on how they grew their business. We hope you enjoy, and with that, let's get to it. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Major League Real Estate Podcast. My name is Brandon Hall. I'm your host, and my co-host here is Dylan Brown. Dylan, how's it going today, man? Honestly, couldn't complain even a little bit out here, and you know the weather's beautiful. It's above freezing, which is amazing this time of year in Minnesota. <laughs> rare, rare for Minnesota, right? <laughs> rare for Minnesota, about seven months of the year. So we're counting our blessings, and here we are. So just happy to be here, man. One time, I had a team member at this firm who. This is a handful of years ago. Minnesota had like one of these big freezes and literally the inside of the walls were frosted. I have never seen anything like that in my life. That was insane. Oh my god. Is that like a normal thing? Well, it depends. Okay. So to be fair, it does depend, but where I live, absolutely. I live in a house that was built in 1909 and some of the windows are original and you can basically just assume that there's no window there during the winter. That thing is frosted on both sides. There's no insulation. So heat bill does go up a little bit. Luckily, we've got a lot of windows that we have replaced, but the ones that we haven't are kind of the decorative ones. And it's like, you don't want to take, it's almost like if you were to replace stained glass. So of course, we're not going to replace those. We just have to live with it. But my goodness. So you, so you don't replace the decorative windows and just freeze. Got it. All right. <laughs> That's the plan. <laughs> what are we going to talk about today, Dylan? Well, honestly, we had to think about this a little bit. And one thing we always hear from our clients when we're getting new clients coming to our firm there's a lot of trends. There's a lot of themes. It's almost sometimes you can predict what they're going to say. And today we had to take a step back. And this is kind of the concept here. What of those things are we going to say, hey, man, it's not me. It's you. That's the theme of today. It's not me. It's you. What is your CPA like saying dating. when they say it's not me. It's you. So we're going to dive into that. Not me. It's you. Yeah. So. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that, that'll be good. Stick around for that. We'll talk about the top things that create pain between uh, CPAs and their clients as we hear them during our sales cycles with future potential clients. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and we'll give you some tips too on how you can make the relationship a little bit better with your accountants. And you can decide if it's you or if it's them. But uh, before we do that, let's jump into the CPA Insights segment here. And we've actually got the ERC crackdown, the employee retention credit crackdown mm-hmm. that the IRS is really rolling out, I guess is a good way to put it at this point. How much of the ERC stuff have you been following? I have been following it from afar and then as of late, a little bit closer. You know what it is? Because maybe I was on the angel side of the shoulder. We got the angel and the devil. And and now I get the opportunity to say, I told you so to all those clients (laughs) who uh, maybe took ERC credits that they probably shouldn't have. I've always been pretty conservative and tried to follow it by the book. And now what we see is, especially through all the press that's been surrounding this, is the IRS, you know, they're privy to what happened. They see that there's a lot of tax promoters out there that have been pushing this. So I don't know, Brandon, what have you been seeing? Have you had a, a lot of experience with these people who maybe went to market and were selling these ERC credits that were, I don't know, illegitimate is the right word. but you know. Yeah, since I own the firm, I get solicited like two times a week by uh, ERC promoters about how we could have claimed ERC, which we definitely did not qualify for ERC. I'm also watching it from afar. Uh, but real quick, I want to explain what ERC is. Mm-hmm. So ERC was an employee retention credit that rolled out with the pandemic relief. And 
what happened was there a lot of promoters came into the market and basically promoted what we are now finding is fraudulent ERC claims. So they would go out to businesses such as mine. They would solicit me and they would say, hey, you qualify for an ERC. You can get tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars back in your pocket. You pay us 20 to 30 percent of whatever the refund is and it's all good. The problem is, is that they were basing that qualification off of erroneous standards mm-hmm. and uh, they weren't able to substantiate the claims. So the most recent issue was the OSHA communications. You know, the IRS says the guidance that came out over the past couple of years was if a federal agency requires that you're shut down, that is one step of qualifying towards the ERC. So what some of these promoters were doing is they were relying on OSHA communications as official mandates to close your business. And the IRS, I believe this past week, we're recording this in November, came out and said the OSHA communications do not qualify. So really interesting. And there's also currently a relief program. Mm -hmm. Do you know much about that? Yeah, a little bit. You know, they're basically saying if you (laughs) if you suspect that what you may have filed in the past was erroneous or if you didn't qualify for what you claimed you qualified for. It's almost like a get out of jail free card where they're allowing people to come back and basically resend whatever they have already filed and kind of repay that advanced credit that they would have received and make it all go away before the IRS inevitably comes in and audits them and maybe makes the same determination. It's sort of the IRS saying, hey, look, we can tell that a lot of these were not up to snuff, but you as the taxpayer have this opportunity to just make it all go away. And so that's been yeah. interesting. And they've also stopped processing claims in general until they make through the big backlog just because they need to add more scrutiny now moving forward. Yeah. So you have this window of time if you've submitted an ERC claim. If it has not yet been processed by the IRS, you will most likely qualify for that withdrawal. Mm-hmm. So if this is you, if you're just now hearing this and you filed ERC with anybody, you should take another look at that if it has not yet been processed. Mm-hmm. So. I expect that a lot of these claims are going to be audited. I would say most of these claims are probably going to be audited. If you filed for ERC and you got money, you should definitely be figuring out right now, can I substantiate this? And you might want to get a tax attorney's opinion on it. Don't call us. We are not ERC experts, Mm -hmm. but you might want to get a tax attorney's opinion on it just to take a look at it. And there's a lot of tax attorneys that are now popping up and saying, hey, I will look at your ERC claim and give you an actual opinion on it. Just be careful now. I'm sure we're going to have promoters who are going out and saying that and saying, we'll look at this and we'll opine on this. Just make sure you're finding reputable help if you are going to go out and do that and verify what you've claimed. So, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's move on to the meat of the show. Absolutely. Let's talk about the five top reasons that operators and their accountants run into issues. Mm-hmm. Nightmare issues, potentially. (laughs) Nightmare, yes. The first one that we want to talk about is relying too heavily on property managers. Why do we throw that one up there? Well, let's just put it out there. I mean, what happens when you go to find a property manager and what do they say that they're going to do for you? A lot of times they're going to do some of that bookkeeping for you. And so maybe you as the operator are out there and saying, hey, that's, that's exactly what I need. Now I don't have to go out and hire a bookkeeper. That leads to some of the gripes that we're talking about because you have to understand if you're going to over rely on that property manager to make it so that you think what work they're doing is going to get you ready for tax time, you probably will be sorely disappointed when you actually receive those deliverables and send them to your CPA. I've been on the receiving end of that personally, where 
as a CPA trying to pull together somebody's tax return. And we're in the heat of the busy season, mind you. We're getting reports that don't include a balance sheet. Oftentimes, they may not even be inclusive of all the bank accounts that bank accounts that are being used to operate the property or the equity accounts, for example. This is something that is rampant. I mean, I've seen it all over the board. I'd say some property managers are better than others, but the point of this is to really just understand what you're signing up for when you're getting that property manager. And don't be over-reliant. Yeah. I mean, the property manager is not going to reconcile your bank accounts. They're recording the property level transactions, right? The property manager has their own trust accounting methodology that they have to follow, Mm -hmm. but that's not going to translate to accurate financials for your entity. Mm -hmm. So unless you have somebody in office or like an accountant on staff, or unless you're outsourcing your accounting to a group like ours, you don't really have anybody going in and reconciling what the property manager is doing. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys are working in Appfolio and Yardy and Buildium, right. and they're not looking at anything outside of the property level transactions. But you have a lot of things outside of the property level transactions. You have insurance, you have interest, you have principal payments, you have depreciation and amortization. You have all sorts of these higher level things, travel, meals, right? That, mm-hmm. that the property manager is not going to pick up. And you want to make sure that that gets into your accounting system. So the pain, the pain is created when, you know, we have a client that says, here are my appfolio statements or here are my, here are my financials produced by Yardi. And it's just a transaction log, essentially. Yep. That's okay. what it is. Yep. E- even if it's presented as a profit and loss statement, it's just a transaction log. There's no balance sheet. There's no reconciliation to bank. Mm-hmm. And so what you're doing then is you're asking your accountant in February to clean all that up for you right? and ideally hit the March 15th deadline so you don't have hundreds of angry investors coming at you, which nobody wants and we don't want that either. So the point is that you're asking your accountant to do a lot mm-hmm. in a very short amount of time, yep. which typically means something will suffer. Quality will suffer. Service will suffer. You might not meet the deadlines. Right. So Think about, you know, how do we produce really rock solid financial statements, which frankly, if you're listening to this podcast, you should be doing anyway. Right. So if you're listening to this podcast, and you're like, I haven't thought about producing great financial statements that maybe that's a problem. Maybe, maybe. And then it's like, is, it goes back to the question, is it me or is it you? If you come to the CPA with what, maybe it's a pile of crap, right? Maybe you come with a literal pile of crap because we know what some property managers are and aren't capable of. If they come to you with what ends up being something way out of the scope of what you maybe agreed on, and this is a tax engagement, mind you, who's really at fault there? Is it really the best thing to point fingers and things like that? And then when you're going to do the transition to a new CPA, we hear this all the time of that maybe they couldn't meet the deadline, the prior CPA. So there it is. Is it me or is it you? That's kind of... I mean, that's a really good point though. Like, you know, I I just said, you know, if you you don't have good financials, Mm -hmm. like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. But, you you know, you bring up a good point. You could have a CPA team that doesn't actually know how to advise on the software stack that you're learning mm-hmm. or that, that you're utilizing in right. your day-to-day management. Um, right. I mean, we see that all the time too, where you know accountants might know QuickBooks Online really, really well, but they have no idea how to utilize Yardi or right. Appfolio. Mm-hmm. So you're right. It's not just them. It's us too. We need to be better at advising so that people can produce great financials. Absolutely. It's a two-way street. So we're not saying one person's always responsible for this thing, but understanding who maybe drop the ball and what we can do better. That's what we're hoping to get at with these five mistakes. So Brandon, what's the next one? What's the next mistake? So the other one is having too few or no bank accounts and or using them incorrectly. So how many bank accounts 
should an operator have? Well, let's start at with the, the very basic level, right? <laughs> let's start with the basics. Let's hope they have a bank account, first of all. Okay, yeah. Brandon. I've seen so many times where they've come to the table and they don't have a bank account. Or when, when, when would they not have a bank account? That is like, that doesn't even make sense to me. Well, imagine this. Imagine, let's say that this is an operator and they're pulling together all sorts of deals on an ongoing basis. And they, they do have operating accounts, but let's say they form a new LLC and they've got a new syndication and they immediately go out and get a, a property manager. That property manager immediately sets up trust accounting for them, right? And they have a trust account that they're able to advance funds to to operate this property. I've seen it once or twice, uh, more than once or twice, unfortunately, where in the heat of the moment, just trying to get this deal closed, somewhere along the line, the entity that maybe the, the operator is using as their management company just advanced the funds to get the, the property yeah. manager going. And then, yeah. and then we're starting to receive contributions and distributions. Maybe a bank account was actually set up, but was sitting dormant and wasn't used correctly. So that's what we're talking about when they just start guns ablazing. They don't even have the bank account figured out yet. I'd say yep. it's pretty rare that you're going to have literally no bank account coming towards tax season. But what I like to tell people is two is good and three is even better. And so here's my favorite setup that I've seen. And maybe you can tell me what you've seen that has looked differently. But I love when I can see a bank account that is not a trust account, but it's a bank account owned by the operator that is basically access is given to the property manager to that bank account. And the sole purpose of that bank account is to make transfers to and from the trust accounting, whatever system the property manager has in place, right? And that account is to fund the actual operations. And then the other two yeah. bank accounts, one is just for reserves, which oftentimes is obligatory and the bank will set that up, the lender will set that up and you're not really having to worry about that, but some sort of bank account that's set aside as reserves and one bank account where was, there's only one purpose and it's to receive investor funds and distribute investor funds. And it's kind of where that excess cash, if you will think of it, of it that way, ends up and where distributions are made out of. Those are kind of the three that if you keep them separate, maybe you didn't have to, but by keeping them separate, it keeps your mindset right about what the flow of funds should look like. Think yeah. of it as a flow chart yeah. and think about the bank accounts as being like a keeping you accountable to that flow chart. If you're making a flow chart of where your funds should go, because that will shift your mindset about how to operate the finances and operate the actual yeah. funds in your business. I like the idea of having a dedicated investor in and out mm -hmm. bank account. It segregates it in your mind and allows you to, like you said, just have the right mindset in terms of how to utilize investor capital. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, there's horror stories all the time out there about people who, you know, advance funds from one syndication to the other right. syndication, which is a completely unrelated aside from the GP, you know, entity. And that's just, you yeah. know, you get the scary stuff. Well, yeah. So I, I like that. I like that a lot. That scenario you just mentioned is a nightmare for the accountant. You wait till the SEC gets involved and takes a look at that. That's when you start getting yeah. into trouble too. There's more people to answer to than a lot of people think when it comes to just basic things like your bank account. So yeah. The third big issue here is investor documentation. Uh, why is that one up here? It's because I can't tell you how many times that I've been in a back and forth right at the edge of completion of a task, like a tax return for a client. And imagine you have done all the work, you've reconciled the balance sheet and you've reconciled the income. You've got everything figured out at the entire property level. But when you're trying to produce K-1s, the one little thing holding you up is somebody's social security number or address or what kind of entity that they have. It's the basic things that are so often forgot to the very back end that end up taking 80% of the time and cause 80% of the delays. And let me tell you an example here. If you've got a cap table 
which was generated using a software. I'm just going to throw one out like InvestNext, but there's a bunch of them out there. You know, whatever you might be using to manage your investor data, but it has the ability for you to designate which data is captured. And let's say you just missed a piece of data that's integral to all the K1s and you never collected that from your investors. That's what we're talking about because now we're in the heat of tax season and you have to go back and confirm somebody's tax status or something of the nature. This is something that is so preventable and can be done way in advance of your end. So that's why it's on the list. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it's just good organization too. But that's one of those things where it's really hard for accountants to help you with that, right. especially during busy season. Right. That's when we're going to find out the gaps in your administrative abilities, but it's also the, like, the most stressful time of year to try to solve that. Exactly. So the next one we have is one of my biggest ones. It's a poor understanding of your operating agreement and poor tax planning combined, right? Because when you're developing an operating agreement, there is tax planning involved in that. And I think a lot of first-time operators or, or GPs don't quite make that connection. Mm-hmm. But they're more focused on what are my LP losses going to be and less focused on what does it mean for the GP in the deal. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes, like, like not understanding the various sections of your operating agreement Typically what happens is, and this is also the fault of your tax advisors, mm-hmm. not adequately explaining it to you, mm-hmm. but you'll typically find out what's really in your operating agreement around March 1st. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that's when you're going to get that tax return and you're going to be like, wait a second, I thought losses were going to flow this way or that way. Mm-hmm. And this is not what I thought was going to happen here. <laughs> right. Yeah. You'd be surprised. I mean, well, how do you solve for that then, Brandon? It's not a mystery, right? There's ways that we can have a conversation going into tax season or well in advance of tax season where maybe we could have prevented this, right? I mean, this is where you really have to take it upon yourself to understand the value of having a tax advisor as opposed to just a tax preparer. And this is a key example when I see that come up again and again. These sorts of things are also the types of things, this falls in the bucket of maybe you would have had some liberties during the tax year to make adjustments that could have helped your position or gotten things more in line with your expectations. But there's not a lot we can do now that it's March 1st or March 15th, even like what you said, we're sitting here and we have to look back and just do exactly as it says. That's our job. And that's really all we're bound to be able to do. Yep. So work with an attorney and a CPA and a CPA who works on a lot of these types of deals Work with the attorney and the CPA at the very beginning. The attorneys are very, very good at getting the economic substance of what you're trying to do into the operating agreement. But sometimes, you know, attorneys don't have a tax background and that's where you need to pull that CPA in to make sure that the tax allocations actually match what you're trying to do. You could use the best attorney in the world and if they don't have a tax background, they might mess up that tax piece. That's right. And it's just the same way like we, if you used us solely to draft an operating agreement. First off, we wouldn't allow you to do that, but you'd be making a huge mistake because you wouldn't be getting the legal advice that you need. The team that drafts the operating agreement is the attorney and the CPA Mm -hmm. collaboratively. Exactly. And ideally from the get-go. Exactly. Yep. Couldn't have said it better. All right. So the last big mistake that we have on here is just overall too little support, too little financial support, maybe not enough investment into your systems that just keep you out of you know, problems in the day to day and get you focused more on the highest and best use of your own time, which is likely underwriting deals, managing investor relationships and managing the company overall. So where do you want to start here with too little support? I feel that this point five really could be the catalyst for the other four points if you really think about it. 
because the way you got to think about it is the business model that most operators run. Think about a comparable manufacturing company of the same amount of revenue and how much more robust their staff is versus when you're looking at a real estate firm and how thin they tend to run. And really recognizing that on the front end and accepting that as part of your business model. I mean, that is the model that we see all over the place. And so if we take a look at that and we think, what could we possibly do on the front end to maybe ease the tension a little bit on that relatively small organization, it would be leveraging our third party advisors. So your bookkeepers, your CPAs, it's definitely your attorneys. And to some degree, we've already even talked about this a little bit with the property managers, right? And the key, I think, is understanding everybody's role and maybe not asking too much. So let's circle back to that and just understand. Let's start with bookkeeping and just sort of talk about what kind of help does a syndicator or an an operator, an investor, or even a developer need on the bookkeeping side that they're not going to get other places that they should probably pony up and, and really plan for from the outset in terms of cost and also time commitment. Yeah, well, and I guess to add my two cents to this too, I, I think that what we're really getting at here, and this is probably sounding self-serving because we run an accounting firm, right? But this is the lens that we we view it in: is we see a lot of operators underinvest in the financial reporting systems that they have, mm-hmm. and so that includes bookkeeping, it includes investor reporting. And the thing is, is that it doesn't cost a lot to get great support, right? It's so funny when when we're on the like sales side and we're trying to work with new operators who are underwriting their deals and then they find out the monthly accounting costs for a bookkeeper and an outsourced controller is going to be $2,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, I, I want to spend just $1,200 a month instead. That $800 a month spread though, I get it. I understand you're, you're applying that to your cap rate and you're like, man, that's crushing my value by 100K. But I promise you, you'll make your investors happy you'll avoid a lot of financial issues later because you'll have clean records, clean books, clean reporting. And investors like that, even if you're in down markets, if you're able to continuously communicate and report to your investors, you'll still, at least our experience watching our clients, you'll still be able to re-raise successfully because of how tight of a shop you run, right? How good, how professional, how organized you are. So our view is that you should invest into the accounting. You should invest into that investor reporting there's a lot of software out there. There's a lot of ways to do it. You can use a firm like ours that does the outsourced accounting or you can in-house it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's up to you, but don't overlook that investment. Otherwise, it's going to mean you on a Sunday trying to figure out how to do all the bookkeeping and the bank recs and apply the property management statement to your actual financials instead of spending time with your family and your kids and stuff like that. And who wants to do that? Seriously. Who, I love what you were talking about. You, you put the whole thing on the investor because who is the investor that we're talking about? That's really our client's client. That's like, if you think about a store selling to a customer, if they don't know their customer or build a good customer experience or aren't able to deliver on the promises they made because of some sort of cost cutting or some sort of oversight on how they're running their business, that's really adjacent or analogous to exactly what we're talking about here. You've got to think about having an investor portal isn't just enough than just signing up for the investor portal. What are you putting out there? How are you how are you adding value to the data that's presented there? And are you confident in that? And okay, like your last point, did you have to do that on a Sunday afternoon? And were yeah. you pulling it all together yourself in a sort of a reactionary way? That really is kind of ties it all together is, you know, if I could say one thing, it's like reactionary versus proactive is another theme that really goes along with this entire conversation. 
And I think it kind of sums up exactly what we're talking about today. And think too about like where to save costs, right? Like you as a business owner should be trying to optimize your profit and loss statement, meaning that you should be increasing revenue and reducing expenses. But you have to think about your areas of expertise and your skill sets. And I would be looking to leverage that in reducing my costs. So like for me personally, I run an accounting firm. I know how to reduce costs related to professionals doing tax work and accounting work. I know how to make them more effective. I know how to make them more efficient. Yep. I do not know how to reduce costs related to rehabbing my kitchen. Yeah. Okay. So, so like, like you got to kind of pick and choose your battles and, and understand, all right, when I go rehab my kitchen, I'm going to get three quotes and I'm probably just going to get, you know, <laughs> it's going to be expensive because I don't know. I don't know how to swing the hammer. I don't know how to order my own materials and supplies. I don't know how to do that. But in every business that I run, I know how to run the finance piece very efficiently. So I add value there for whatever business venture we take on. So just kind of, you know, pick and choose your battles. Like if I try to save on my kitchen rehab, I will end up with a lower quality product that I also don't know how to correct. 100%. Right. You got to think about that when you run this, when you run any sort of business, but definitely as it pertains to the finance piece. All right. So we went through five mistakes that operators make and that CPAs make as well that create strain with the operator CPA relationship. The five were relying too heavily on property managers, uh, using too few bank accounts, having poor investor documentation and admin workflow around that investor documentation having a poor understanding of your operating agreement and poor tax planning, and just overall too little support, investing too little in your infrastructure. Anything else you want to add here, Dylan, before we move on to the closing section of this podcast? Well, this is small, but we did promise we would give at least one actionable tip here. And I feel that we've already done that, but I have one more that I want to throw in there. And it's the third point, investor documentation. So one tip that I have for anybody listening, and this is something you can start doing today and it costs you nothing, is if you're out there and you're getting people to sign subscription agreements, just go ahead and throw in a W-9. It's one more page. You add one more mm. page to the document and they're already flipping through and signing stuff and filling stuff out. Why don't you just throw in a W-9? And then all you have to do is in addition to whatever else you're doing to track your information on the administrative side of all your investors, you have that backup of that W-9 for everyone. You can scan them all in and send them to your CPA because the W-9 is designed to produce exactly the information we need to be able to put it on the K-1 and not have any of those hiccups I was talking about earlier. So assuming it's filled out correctly, um, it also kind of pushes the, uh, the responsibility more onto the person filling it out saying, you know, it's not you trying to track down this information. You're putting it right in front of them. And what goes on that is kind of their responsibility and is deemed to be true. So we'll go ahead and use it on the K-1. So that's my one hot tip of the day, and I'll leave it at that. I love that. Get a W-9. And that goes for contractors, too. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we talk about this with individual investors a lot more than we do operators, typically because operators are already doing this. But what we say is, hey, before you let a contractor start work, or at least before you make the first round of payments to the contractor, you need a W-9 mm -hmm. from them. Otherwise, you have no ability to issue a 1099. 100%. Uh, which is your responsibility at the end of the day. And the IRS will catch you at some point and they will penalize you dearly. So that W9 piece, great, great tip there. 
All right, so we want to end with our tech spotlight. What piece of technology have we recently adopted and what are we seeing? And we kind of approach this from two angles. What are we doing at the firm just to enable our own professionals to work more effectively and efficiently? And also, what do we see our clients using? But today we're going to talk about something that we've been using at the firm that I found online. I actually saw this on Twitter. One of the uh, accounting influencers, if you will, posted a side-by-side video. All right. And so in one, it was like an A video and a B video. And the question was, which video is AI? Mm-hmm. And everybody was like picking A and B. Like nobody was just like saying it's definitely this one video. Right. So I asked what platform was that? And he said it was Heijin. It's H-E-Y-G-E-N.com. So I went and I spun it up uh, and I showed it to you. What did you think? Like, <laughs> I thought it was insane. I thought it was insane. It was like the matrix and all these things coming together. And, and it's like, I want the listeners to think about this too, because the, first of all, what we have here is AI generated video that's in, indiscernible. Is that even a word? Indiscernible. Yeah. You cannot look at it and say that is for sure AI. To me, my reaction when Brandon showed it to me was the only criticism I could have is maybe it looks like it's a choppy Zoom video or something. Like you, you know, maybe something's off, but I would have never in a million years thought that that was just 100% AI driven. So tell them how it works. Yeah. So so here's how it works. So. So you spin it up, you go on to heygen.com or .ai. I actually don't know if it's .com or .ai. Uh, but you go to heygen, you create an account, you record a two-minute video, and you talk about anything you want. So I talked about Section 469, the real estate professional status, passive activity loss rules for two minutes. Mm-hmm. You click go, and then it spins about an hour, and it generates an avatar. Yeah. Okay. So after that hour, you have an avatar of yourself. And then you just type text in. So you, you just literally type the, the video transcript that you want the avatar to then repeat. And you type the transcript in, you click go, and then it outputs a video with your avatar, mouthing the words, and also moving your body and using the gestures that you use during your two minute video that you uploaded. Man, this thing is sweet. And I've, I've tried, I've now created multiple avatars. You can also do a voiceover option. So like I have a really, really sexy mic here. <laughs> uh, and uh, the, the regular option, when you do the, the transcript option, it doesn't like, it doesn't pick up like the sexy mic, right? So, right? so now I'm like doing a voiceover. So I'll type the transcript and then I'll just read it in my mic and then I'll upload the voiceover to HeyGen and my avatar will just start mouthing as what? if the voice, as if it was just one and the same, right? <laughs> it's, it's amazing. And so if you think about this, you can use these videos for anything. I mean, think about marketing, investor presentations, proposal presentations, deal presentations. All you have to do is have a nice professional looking avatar. Mm-hmm. So wear a suit when you're doing this two minute video and you've got it there forever. And then you only ever really have to record audio. You never have to really get on video anymore. It's That's amazing. It's insane, guys. And, and if you're like sitting here like, okay, that yeah, I don't believe it. Go. Go. We don't. We don't have any sort of affiliate relationship with HeyGen, but go try it out. Yeah, I think you get like three or four free minutes, or maybe it's just two. Two free minutes. I think it's two free minutes per month. So basically, you can trial it for free. You can create an avatar and trial it all out. It's seriously amazing. It. I sent my video to my parents. Yeah, and I was like, because I I did like a a welcome to 2023 tax preparation for our clients, and in the video that if you're listening. The video that you got is actually not the AI because I decided it was not good enough to do that. A long video. But I sent it to my parents and my parents were like, oh, yeah, you're like you're a little stiff and like your background's a little weird and all that stuff. And I was like, what if I told you this is AI? They were blown away. So 
go try it. It's it's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you answered my question. That was going to be my question because you you just talked about this insane technology. I was going to ask, what's the first thing you're going to do to streamline your business or professional workflow? And it sounds like that's it. You were going to, well, I know you didn't, but you were going to have, so I guess maybe the question is, when are you going to apply this for the first time in your business? What do you think it's going to be? Yeah. So what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have the firm start using it for proposals. Mm-hmm. So the nice thing about this is that if you uh, like in Hagen, you can either choose to show the avatar and the full background, mm-hmm. or you can make it a little circle in the bottom corner of like the screen and you can record your screen. Love that. So if the avatar is in a circle and it's in the corner of your screen, it's a lot harder to tell like all the quirkiness that comes with the AI avatar. Yeah. So instead now, like if you think about it for proposals, it's, you know, hi, Joe, thanks so much for jumping on the phone with me. Here's your proposal. The avatar sitting there saying that and you're just you have to manually go and like click around, click the video and mm-hmm. show them how it works. You got to re- do the voiceover, but you don't actually have to like look nice and pretty for the video <laughs> because you've already done that. Right. Love so that. it's it's really awesome. It's really freeing, especially for like like I love video content. But and I love creating video content, but it's a significant amount of work. I mean, you have to like get into the right mindset. You have to record at the right time. Your lighting's got to be perfect. So if you just do that one time and then you can apply that multiple times and you just record audio whenever you want to, man, what it's going to be awesome. It's (laughs) over for all those videographers. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that. You see the avatar first, then maybe make that that call. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. That's it for today. We will see you on the next episode of the Major League Real Estate Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Major League Real Estate Podcast. There are three ways that you can connect with us. If you're interested in getting email updates on upcoming shows, go to www.mlrepodcast.com and subscribe there. If you'd like to explore a tax and accounting relationship with our CPA firm, you can go to www.therealestatecpa.com slash MLRE and fill out the web form to get started. And if you'd like to connect with Dylan or I on social media, you can find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Just search Dylan Brown CPA or Brandon Hall CPA. Shoot us a request. We'd love to connect. We'll see you next time.